Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. The title of my address this morning is Sent to Serve. Because Jesus came, we must go. John Keith Falconer was a missionary from Scotland. He was a Cambridge professor and a world champion cyclist who won the world championship in 1878. Had a very promising career ahead of him there in Scotland, but he left Scotland and all that behind to go to Yemen as a missionary accompanied by his wife, Gwendolyn. He would preach the gospel very faithfully and within a matter of six months, he established an orphanage there. But in the mysterious providence of God, his life was cut short. He contracted malaria and he died at the age of 32. He'd only been married for three years. His biographer, Robert Sinker wrote, and I quote, a career of exceptional promise was early closed in the death of John Keith Falconer. The beauty of his character, his ardent missionary zeal, his great learning uh, formed a combination rarely equaled. How noble a life his was. And when asked why he would leave all that he had in England behind for the dangers and the hardships and even the early death of the mission field, John Falconer said, and this quote accompanies me on a regular basis, I have but one candle of life to burn. And I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. Where did John Falconer get such a radical idea? I think he got it from another man who died in his early 30s by the name of Jesus. Indeed, I think John Falconer walked marvelously in the steps of our Savior who said in most would agree, it is the central and key verse of Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Of course, we recognize the profound nature of that statement. Jesus makes a promise that no other religious leader has ever made, nor could any other religious leader make this kind of promise. I came to give my life as a payment, as a ransom. I came to die in your place, and I did this for many. In other words, our Lord came to burn out the candle of his life on behalf of you and also on behalf of me. Again, this is one of those verses in Scripture that has accompanied me all of my now almost 40 years in ministry. William Lane, the brilliant New Testament scholar, says, the reversal of all human ideas of greatness and rank was achieved when Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. John Piper adds, Mark 10:45 is what turns Christianity into the gospel. And Jesus himself, I think, provides a helpful commentary on this verse in another gospel in John chapter 10 and verse 18, where he says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. I have received this from my father. 
But not only does this text indicate for us that Jesus is a payment and came to pay for our sins, to die for our sins, he also provides an incredible example for you and me as we go forth to bear the gospel wherever it is that God calls us and God leads us to go. And so from this verse, I wanna make two quick applications in terms of what I think our Lord would desire of you as you leave this place and go wherever it is that he is calling you and telling you to go. Number one, follow Christ in your service. Follow Christ in your service. The text begins for even. It's emphasizing the remarkable humility of this particular one. It's almost like uh, the gospel is saying, can you believe it? It's hard to believe that this person did this particular thing. This is one who should be honored by all rights. Uh, He is the one as the very son of God, as deity in the flesh, who should be served and yet he chose to serve us. Of course, then Jesus does something very interesting. He weds uh, a messianic title from Daniel chapter seven, verse 13, the son of man. And he weds it to that great suffering servant song of Isaiah chapter 53. You see hermeneutics is valuable, isn't it? And learning how to understand the grand redemptive storyline was valuable. And understanding the inner connections of scripture where authors pick up from one another and inform our theology and inform our understanding is very helpful because in doing that, Jesus radically, radically, radically redefined what it meant for him to be the Messiah and what it meant for him to be the savior. The Jews were looking for a savior, we know that. They were not looking for a suffering savior. They were not looking for a dying Messiah. No, they were looking for one who would rule and reign and receive accolades and have all glory given to him. And certainly that is gonna happen. But he didn't come the first time as a sovereign. He came the first time as a servant, as a suffering king, as a suffering Messiah. Indeed, Israel was shocked by what they encountered and as a result of that, they along with other sinful men did not receive him, but they nailed him to a cross. Now, let's be fair. That's not all that hard to understand. Serving others is none of our natural inclinations. That's just not who we are. Naturally, we're selfish, all of us. Uh, We want what we want. We want it when we want it. We want it in the way that we want it. And if we don't get it, we kind of get ticked uh, off and bent out of shape. And we can sometimes do really foolish things in response that uh, in the long run do not provide for us what we hope that we would get. I learned this very painfully in my very first year of marriage. My wife and I got married quite young. I was 21, she was only 19. Uh, I was a spoiled brat. My mother had doted on me and loved on me uh, all of those years that I'd been in the home. And my wife, bless her heart, had grown up in a children's home. And so when we got married, she thought, you know, I'm gonna have a perfect marriage. Well, that was problematic because I was a part of that formula and nothing about me is gonna lead to perfection. I can assure you of that. And she found that out very quickly. One Saturday night, uh, she had fixed dinner for us. It was a wonderful dinner. She put on the table, some really nice sandwiches that she's prepared, but then she dropped on the table this Tupperware thing. Now, when you opened it up and looked inside, if you had the aid of a magnifying glass, you might think what was in there was potato chips. 
But once you put them in your mouth, they were so stale, you were not really sure what they were. And so I looked at her and I said, honey, I don't like these. They're too small and stale. I'd like to have some, some new potato chips. And I don't know why, but when we first got, well, I do know why, we were poor. Like all folks when they first get married, you're poor, you got no money. And so she was very frugal about everything. And so she came back and said, well, well darling, when, when this container's empty, you can have some others. <laughs> now that was not the answer that I was looking for at all. So I, I came back and I said, well, you know, uh, darling, um, I came by the pantry on the way in here and I saw in there a brand new bag of Lay's potato chips. They've never been touched by human hands and I would really like to have those. And she looked at me, she said, well, like I said, sugar dumpling, when that container's empty, you can have some others. And so I did something a man would only do at the age of 21 and in his first year of marriage. I stood up from the table, I took her Tupperware thing and I dumped those potato chips on her kitchen floor. Oh, I know, ladies, easy. I understand. Believe me, such a man ought to be dead. I understand. No, he gets worse. I said, this one's empty now. Why don't you go get those others? Oh, I know, I know, I know. Believe me. You say, uh, did she go get those others? Are you kidding me? <laughs> she didn't do a number of things around that house for several weeks, best I remember it. It, 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 it was not a, a happy time at all. And you say, well, you acted like a jerk. Oh, I am guilty as charged. I was as selfish and self-centered and me, myself and I, as I could possibly be, I was nothing at all like the Lord Jesus. And you see, we're never more like Jesus than when we serve other people. Not demanding what we want, but providing for them what they need. That's why some of you are gonna to go to ministry places that are very challenging, very hard. In fact, all of you are gonna be in ministry assignments that are challenging. That's just part and partial of life and dealing with people. It's part and partial of you being who you are as a sinner saved by grace. And yet we should constantly remind ourselves, God did not call any of us in this room to reign as kings in this life. He called us to serve others just like he has served us. And we're never more like our King Jesus than we, we are serving other people. So he serves, we serve. He gives, we give. He stoops down, we stoop down. And because he came, we must go. C.T. Studd was a wonderful missionary, first to China and then later to Africa, died in the Congo, is buried there today. And C.T. Studd said this, some wish to stay within the sound of a church or a chapel bell, but I'd rather run a rescue shop within one yard of hell. I would say that's a pretty good place for any servant of Jesus to be. So first of all, we want to follow Christ in our service, but secondly, we want to follow Christ in our sacrifice. The text says he came. He came to do what? To give his life. No one takes it, he freely gives it. He came not to live his life, but he came to give his life. And he did not come to die despite God's love. He came to die because of God's love. There's some of you here today, we know this because we prayed for you yesterday. 
uh, and you're not a Christian. Uh, you've never put your faith and trust in Christ. And let me say, first of all, we're so honored that you're here. Thank you for coming. Uh, you are honored guests anytime on this campus. You're always welcome. But I want you to understand something very clearly this morning. Jesus Christ loves you so much that had you been the only person to ever die, uh, to ever live and then die, he would have died for you. He cares for you that much. His grace is that extensive. You say, well, Danny, you don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. No, I don't, but he does and he still loves you anyway. That's how he loved me. In spite of my sin, in spite of my evil tendencies, in spite of my wickedness, he loved me unconditionally. He did not die despite God's love. He died because of God's love. As one man said, the cross is the gracious and loving self-substitution of God for sinful humanity. And he gave his life as a ransom. Theologians call this the wonderful exchange. We give Jesus what is ours, our sin, and he gives us what is his, his righteousness. What an incredible transaction. What an incredible deal. What a wonderful exchange. And that word ransom means to deliver by making a, a payment. It speaks of purchasing a slave out of a slave market or a prisoner of war out of confinement. It has the idea of releasing someone by a payment. And as the Bible says, he did not pay with silver or gold or precious stone, but he paid and, and, and did what he did for you by his precious blood. Why did we need a ransom? Because we'd all willingly sold ourselves into sin. We'd all willingly given ourselves to the bondage of sin. But here's the good news of the gospel. When Jesus paid for you and when you received that payment by faith, he sets you free from hell. He sets you free from sin. He sets you free from death. He sets you free from Satan. His righteousness is put to your bank account. And when God looks at you, he no longer sees you and all of your sin, but he sees Jesus and all of his righteousness. And not only does he forgive you of your sin, he invites you to be a part of his family. I love what Galatians chapter four, verses four and five say, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born under the law, born of a woman to redeem those, to ransom those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We had run away like fools and sold ourselves to Satan and the slavery of sin. And Jesus saw our pitiful and hopeless situation. He paid the ransom. He redeemed us out of slavery and he brings us into his house and his father's house as his sons and as his daughters. Hallelujah, what a savior. That's why the hymn writer says, guilty, vile and helpless we, spotless lamb of God was he, Full atonement can it be, hallelujah, what a savior. Now let's be clear. Can any one of us in this room atone for other people's sins? Well, of course not. We ourselves need our sins atoned for and praise God, that is what Jesus has done for us. No, we cannot atone for other people's sins, but in following the example of Christ, we can and go and serve others unconditionally. The Methodist evangelist Sam Jones said it so well, if I had a thousand tongues, they should all talk of Christ. If I had a thousand hands, they should all work for Christ. If I had a thousand feet, I'd put them all in service of Jesus Christ. So let me close with this charge. 
The greatest and best person who ever lived and walked on this earth was a humble servant. He got down low so that he might lift others up. As Philippians chapter two says, he esteemed others better than himself all the way to death on a cross. And now what does he call you and call me to do? He calls us to follow in his footsteps. He calls us to go and do likewise. Francis Schaeffer understood what our Savior calls us to do. And he also understood the challenge and the conflict that many times we deal with in this context. Schaeffer said, and I quote, Christ says we are to take the lowest spot, but we like to take the higher. And we have a lovely rationalization for doing so because every time we take a bigger place, we say that we can have greater influence for Christ. But that is not the Lord's way. Sent to lead others, most likely. Sent to serve without a doubt. And so because he came, we must go. Would you pray with me? Bow your heads for just a moment and close your eyes. Again, if you're here today and you have never trusted Christ, I want to return once more to the beauty of this verse. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, did not come to be served. He came to serve and give his life a payment for sin, a ransom for many. And I've got good news for you. You are part of that many. He died the death that you should have died. He paid for sin the payment you should have paid. And now he offers everyone in this room who has never trusted him a free gift. Yes, it's a free gift you don't deserve, but that's why it's a gift. You don't deserve it but God offers it freely. You say, Danny, you're really serious. He died for me, he died for you. And his death covered all of my sins, past, present, and future, every single one of them. If I put my faith and trust in him, he will change my life, yes, and you won't be disappointed with what you find on the other side. And so this morning, if you are here today, and for whatever reason, You've never trusted Christ. You've never put your faith in Jesus. I'm gonna do what Billy Graham has done hundreds of times throughout his career, and I'm gonna lead in what we call a, a sinner's prayer. There's nothing magical about the prayer or the words. What matters is your heart. But I can tell you this, God's word promises from a sincere heart, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I'm gonna pray this prayer, and if this is the prayer and that desire of your own heart, you pray it right there silently where you are, and I can promise you this, the God who is in heaven will hear you, and that God will forgive you, and his son will become your savior, and he will become your perfect, eternal, heavenly father. So just pray this prayer with me right now. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me, and I thank you that you gave your life as a ransom for my sins. You paid for my sins by your death. And I thank you that your father accepted your sacrifice and he proved it because he raised you from the dead. Jesus, I acknowledge today that I am a sinner. I acknowledge I need to be saved. 
So I repent and turn from my sins. And I put my trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. And Lord, to the best of my ability, I am calling on your name for salvation. Please save me, Lord Jesus. And precious Lord Jesus, I thank you that anyone praying that prayer in sincerity, you have heard their prayer and you have answered their prayer and you have saved them because you always keep your word. And I thank you so much, Lord, that in this service of celebration, when it comes to graduation, I thank you even more for the celebration of salvation. And Lord, at the end of this uh, graduation service, might, might they quickly find the graduate that they came to see today and give them a hug and congratulate them. But Lord, I know these graduates would love to hear from a lost dad or a lost mom, a lost brother or sister, an aunt or uncle or a dear friend. When, when, when Danny led in that prayer, I prayed it. And I've given my life to Jesus. And Lord, as uh, happy as these graduates are to be through with their course of study, I know it will pale in comparison to the joy that all of us would experience at the salvation of any man or woman or boy or girl today. So Lord, I thank you that even in a service like this, you are welcomed and your gospel is proclaimed and people can hear and be saved. And Lord, may we be faithful always at every opportunity to tell others about Jesus as long as you give us breath because he and he alone is the only savior of the world. And we thank you for that savior and we pray this now in his strong and saving name. Amen and amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.com. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.